Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, December 2nd, 2018, on the basis of Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. So A or B, which type are you? There are lots of different ways in which people try to categorize personalities, but maybe the simplest and therefore probably the most common is to simply refer to people as type A or type B. Which one are you? Type A people are thought to be a little bit more aggressive, a little more competitive, a little more organized, and a little bit more impatient. Type B people are a little bit more passive, more relaxed, more easygoing, more thoughtful. One website I found put it this way. How to tell if you're type A or type B. Everything from how you manage your inbox to your to-do list to your preferred drink at Starbucks to your preferred way to dress. I thought I knew which type I was until I saw this. Because on the one hand, I love to keep my inbox at zero. I love my to-do list to be meticulous. But on the other hand, I always order plain old black coffee at Starbucks. And this year, I wore sweatpants to Thanksgiving dinner. So now I'm not so sure. If you are a type A, you might have been a little bit bothered when you heard that gospel reading read just a few minutes ago. You see, even if you've only been going to church for a very short time, you look out there in the world and all you see is Christmas, right? And even when you walk through the door, you look around and all you see is Christmas. And so maybe you figured that today in church we'd be talking about something sort of Christmassy. We're not. Or on the other hand, if you've been coming to church your whole life, you maybe know that each and every year we go over the events of the life of Jesus, the things that he did as our Savior, and we more or less follow them from beginning to end in chronological order. And so you too maybe thought that today we'd be talking about something sort of Christmassy. We'd be talking about Jesus' birth. That's where it all starts. Well, we're not. Instead, we're talking about what is often known as the triumphal entry. That Sunday, when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey just five days before he was put to death on a cross. Seems a little bit out of order. Seems a little bit off kilter, and yet for all you type A's out there, before your skin starts crawling, relax, you're actually going to like this. And here's why. You see, as much as type A's love to have things neat and tidy and in order, type A's are also very impatient. Type A's hate wasting time. Type A's hate sitting in traffic. They hate being in a long line at the checkout counter at Miller's. Type A's hate wasting time. And the good news about looking at this lesson today is that you don't have to. You see, this first Sunday of a brand new church here, this first Sunday in Advent, is a good opportunity to remember that each and every Sunday that we gather here is not just kind of a standalone one-time thing. It's really part of something much bigger than that. It's sort of like a brand new workout program or a brand new series on Netflix that you're planning to watch. Except that unlike with a workout program and unlike with a new series on Netflix, you don't have to wait to see how things are going to turn out. You don't have to wonder if this is all going to be worth your while. No, by starting on this lesson today, I don't, I don't know if the people who came up with the schedule of readings 
all those centuries ago that Christians have used all over the world for centuries, including here at Good News. I don't know if they were a bunch of type A's, but by putting this lesson first, they really put all the cards right out on the table, right on day one. Full disclosure, right up front. Here's who Jesus is, and here's why this matters. And so by looking at this lesson today, you really might have one of two reactions. Some people might look at this lesson and, as a result, want everything to do with Jesus. Other people might look at this lesson and want nothing to do with Jesus, but where you won't get caught is right in the middle. You won't be left wondering. You won't be left waiting. By looking at these verses today, it guarantees that you won't have to waste any of your time with Jesus. I know they weren't using the term back then, but when you look at these verses, it kind of seems as though Jesus is the one who's a little bit type A. As they're approaching Jerusalem, he sends out two of his disciples with very specific instructions. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to find. Here's what you should do. Here's what will happen next, and here's what you should do then. He leaves no room for doubt, no room for error, and it all revolves around one specific detail, one part of his plan, the donkey. Jesus isn't going to just walk to Jerusalem. He isn't going to enter Jerusalem in any, uh, riding on any old animal that they might find. He is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And here's why. Donkeys aren't the fastest of animals. They certainly aren't the noblest of creatures. And yet in ancient times, kings would strategically make use of donkeys to send a very specific message to their citizens. Kings would ride in on donkeys as a way of announcing that peace had come that there were no more enemies to be defeated, there were no more threats to put down. It was sort of the king's way of saying, look at how great I am. I can ride on this stubborn and slow-footed animal, and I don't have to worry about anyone or anything. I've defeated them all. Look at how great I am. And so Jesus rode into Jerusalem very specifically, very purposefully, on a donkey as a way of very clearly announcing, I am a king. And yet here's the crazy thing. When Jesus did this, there wasn't peace yet. He hadn't defeated his enemies yet. He hadn't put down every threat yet. In fact, opposition to Jesus was at an all-time high. He knew that waiting for him there in Jerusalem were people who wanted to put him to death. If we didn't know any better, it would seem as though King Jesus got caught up gloating about himself just a little bit too early. In fact, here's kind of what it reminds me of. It reminds me of something I used to watch on WWF wrestling. I know that these days it's called WWE, but back when I watched it, it was WWF. And if you've ever watched professional wrestling, you know that almost once a match, someone will take and, and they'll deliver this devastating blow or this devastating move to their opponent. They'll body slam them down to the ground. And then rather than immediately pinning them and ending the match, they'll turn around and they'll face the crowd and they'll start to gloat. Look at how great I am. Look at what I did. Look at him lying there. And then as they gloat, slowly but surely, their opponent on the mat comes to. He gets to his feet. And then as the first guy is still standing there gloating, then it's bam, metal folding chair to the back of the head, right? That's how it usually goes. Same old script over and over and over again. It sort of looks like that's what's going to happen here, except that Jesus is doing it on purpose. Jesus is announcing that he's not going to put up a fight. Jesus is announcing that he's going to surrender to his enemies. Jesus is very clearly saying that he is a king, but he is a king who is going to die. He demands a crown, but he's going to earn it on a cross. 
Jesus wastes no time in telling us exactly what type he is. I probably don't need to tell you that not everyone wants the type of Jesus that we see in these verses. Plenty of people want a Jesus who can be sort of like their friend, their, their buddy, their pal, their confidant, or, or maybe a Jesus who's sort of like their, their therapist, their counselor, their life coach. A Jesus that they can keep in touch with as they see fit, a Jesus that they can go to when they need to, a Jesus that they can sort of talk to whenever they want or make an appointment with when they really need it, a Jesus who will pat them on the back and pick them up when they're down, a Jesus who will ultimately look at all of the choices that they make in their lives and simply say, hey, that's great. I, I just want you to be happy. What people don't want always is a Jesus who demands to be their king, a Jesus who demands complete commitment and unflinching loyalty. That's what a king does. Or a Jesus who looks at everything that people have, everything that we own, everything that is ours, and he claims it as his own. That's what a king does. People don't always like that type of Jesus. Or people who do want Jesus as a king maybe don't want a king of quite this type. They want a Jesus who is a king who will generally bring them good things in their life. A Jesus who, is, as long as they're on his side, will bring them success and happiness and wealth and maybe even a little bit of power. A Jesus who will look at all of the evil and all of the problems in our lives and he'll just use his nukes to sort of blow them away into oblivion. What they don't always want is the type of Jesus who will surrender to that evil, who will give himself up to that evil. A Jesus who often works his very best, not just here but in our lives, in what appears to be the very worst. A Jesus who delivers to us his greatest gifts, often in the very least expected of places. I think you maybe agree that it's, it's a good thing that Jesus makes it very clear what type of king he is right off the bat, that we get all these cards right out on the table, right up front, that this is the type Jesus is, a king who was born to die, one who demands a crown but we'll earn it on a cross. That's the type that Jesus came to be. And so that just leaves the all-important question of what type are you? After Jesus carefully orchestrates all of these details about his entrance into Jerusalem to make it clear what type he is, the rest of these verses talk about the reaction. The reaction of the people who were there. And there are two types. The first reaction came from what you might call Jesus' adoring fans, the crowds of people who welcomed him into Jerusalem. And what's interesting about these events, this triumphal entry of Jesus, is that all four gospel writers record it. That doesn't always happen. But all four write about it, and all four emphasize slightly different things. What that means is we want to pay careful attention, extra careful attention, to the specific things that Luke chooses to highlight in the verses that are in front of us. For example, you maybe know that this day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem is sometimes called Palm Sunday. But if you look closely, Luke makes no mention of palm branches. You might also know that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, one of the things that people shouted was, Hosanna, just like in the hymn that we just sang. Hosanna means God save us. Luke doesn't make any mention of that either. Instead, the specific thing that Luke highlights that no one else mentions are these words. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowd said, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Those words sound familiar? 
even just a little bit? Even if, even if it's just from that Charlie Brown Christmas special that you remember watching as a kid, you maybe recognize that very similar words were once spoken by another crowd, by the crowd of angels who greeted and announced Jesus' birth. There they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Very similar words also recorded only by the same gospel writer, only recorded by Luke. So what exactly do these words mean? We've got peace on earth and peace in heaven, and we've got glory to God in heaven. What exactly does it all mean? Well, it means that our greatest problem as human beings, the greatest danger we face, is not terrorism and it's not taxes. It's not systemic racism. It's not systemic sexism. It's not that we're overworked and underpaid. It's not that we're all too busy and too stressed out. No, the greatest problem that we face is sin. The sin that we were born in and the sin that every single day we choose for ourselves. Sin that cuts us off, that separates us from the God who made us. In fact, sin that makes us God's enemies. Sin is our declaration of war against the God who made us. Call me crazy, that's a fight we don't want to pick. And yet we do it anyways. These verses mean that our greatest need is for someone to bring that war to an end. For someone to bring peace. And not just peace on earth, the way the angels announced. Not just where mankind realizes its mistake and comes crawling back to God on its knees. But also, also peace in heaven. The kind of peace where God himself can find just cause to set aside his righteous wrath against sinners and once again be pleased and proud with the people he has made. Peace on earth and peace in heaven. And then they also mean that the responsibility for that peace and the credit for that peace can only go to God. We've got peace in, on earth and peace in heaven, but the glory to God, that's only in heaven. The glory to God is only his. You and I can do nothing to contribute to this cause. God himself must do everything. Whether it was in the skies over Bethlehem or on the road into Jerusalem, that's what these words mean. That's one reaction when King Jesus shows up. There's another one. And even though it comes second, in our story. I'm going to call it the type A reaction because the people who have this reaction demonstrate a certain sort of type A spiritual characteristic. It's the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who actually get angry at what is going on. They see the way that Jesus is welcomed and they are furious. In fact, they tell Jesus to make it stop. You see, just like type A's, these Pharisees are aggressive. They think that when it comes to their relationship with God, they can fix it themselves. They can fix it by their own goodness and their own obedience. Just like type A's, they're ultra-competitive. They're constantly comparing themselves to other people to see how their goodness and their obedience stacks up in the light of other people. And finally, just like type A's, they're very impatient. They have very little tolerance and very little compassion for people that they decide aren't quite as good and quite as obedient as they are. And so they are furious with Jesus, and they tell him to stop. Two reactions to Jesus' arrival. Again, the all-important question, which type are you? See, it wasn't just in the skies over Bethlehem or on the road into Jerusalem, but it's also right here in Mount Horeb that Jesus comes as exactly this kind of king. A king born to die, 
One who demands a crown, but plans to earn it on a cross. That's the kind of Jesus that shows up here for you and me. And if you need proof, just think about baptism. Why in the world would a couple of parents bring in a young child who seems so sweet and so innocent to a church to be part of some sort of religious ceremony? There's only one reason in the world why that makes sense. It's if that child's greatest problem and greatest issue that they face is not how things are going to look at their six-month wellness checkup. It's not if their greatest problem is whether they'll be good at school or sports or music or whether mom and dad are already setting aside enough money so that they can afford to go to college. No, it's only if that child's greatest problem is sin. It's only if in this war between God and mankind that child was born on the wrong side and that that child would stay on the wrong side if someone didn't intervene, if someone didn't bring peace. Okay, but why in the world would we do it so early? Why bring a child who's just a a couple of weeks or a couple of months old, a child who's not even old enough to know what's going on, much less decide that this is what they want for themselves? Well, it's because when it comes to the peace that you and I need, the responsibility for that and the credit for that only go to God. Glory to God is only in heaven. Whether a child is a couple of months or a teenager or 65, there is absolutely nothing that that person can do to somehow fix their broken relationship with God. God must do everything. And if God must do everything, then God can certainly do everything with a young child as much as he can with anybody else. Peace on earth, peace in heaven. Glory to God only in heaven. Of course, as we get a little bit older, it's easy for us to forget that, right? It's easy for us to think that our broken relationship with God really depends on our obedience, us straightening out our acts a little bit. It's easy for that ultra-competitiveness of a type A personality to kick in, for us to start comparing our goodness to other people, for us to have very little tolerance and compassion for people that we decide aren't quite as good and obedient as us. But friends, make no mistake, if we are seeking a Jesus from whom we think we only need a pat on the back or a pick-me-up when we're down or or a few pointers so that this week we're finally going to get it right, if that's the kind of Jesus we are seeking, then inevitably, just like these Pharisees, we're not only going to grow disappointed with Jesus, we will inevitably get angry with him. And so if that's what we're seeking from Jesus, don't waste your time. Instead, realize the kind of king Jesus came to be, the type that he very clearly shows us he is. A king who came to die on a cross, one who demands a crown but earns it on that cross. Realize that in the very same way that Jesus did on Palm Sunday, Jesus still shows up and delivers his greatest blessings to us in our lives, often in the least expected of ways. Not in palaces, not in football stadiums full of people, not on TV where all the world can see, but right in places like this and right here with people like us. In your homes, when it's just you and your families. He delivers those blessings in water. He delivers those blessings in his word. He delivers those blessings in bread and wine. That's the type of king that Jesus came to be. And so you can spend all the time in the world that you want with Jesus. You can be here every single Sunday. You can spend every day of your life with your Bible open. You can spend all the time in the world with Jesus. And rest assured, none of it will ever be a waste. Amen. 
For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.